0: Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Hallelujah, his word is good. You know, there are times when you give a talk like this, that you're reading the the passage in scripture and you go, "Oh man, I can't wait for people to hear this truth. I think there's some great things for them." And there are other times when you read the passage and you go, "Man, this one's good. this one's deep and drilling deep inside my core of who I am." I mean, the secret of contentment. I'm not sure there's many people out here that wouldn't go, "Oh, long for that. I want that." And so, what a joy and an honor to unpack God's word together. These are my words. Are, this is my best attempt to um, unpack for us what God is saying. And so that can have an impact in your heart, and I pray that it does, but it also can have an impact in my heart, and I pray that it does. So let's journey together. Let's jump in here. We are in, this is the last week in our study in Philippians. We've been in Philippians. It's a small book written by a man named Paul to a tiny church in a little town called Philippi. But the impact of this book on the world has been massive. And this book, ironically, is known as the Epistle of Joy. It's known as the Epistle of Joy. Why is that ironic? It's ironic and, frankly, amazing because Paul is writing this book in prison in Rome. Okay? We've talked about this a little bit, but Paul, who's the author of this book, planted this church in Philippi, which is neat to be a part of a church plant reading about these initial church plants. I always feel a weird and really special connection, but he plants this church in Philippi about 10 years ago, and now he's imprisoned in Rome, and he's not just imprisoned in Rome. He is chained to the elite Roman guards who serve Caesar's household, the Praetorian guard. He has no freedom. He has no space. He's awaiting trial before Caesar, and he's been living in these conditions for two years. On top of this, he has to pay rent to be in prison chained to these guards. I don't know if there's a better example of adding insult to injury, right? It's like, you're in jail here, you're chained to these guys, and the rents do the first of every month is essentially what Paul is dealing with horrific living conditions. Yet, and we look in verse 10, despite all that, he writes to this church in Philippi, and he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord, that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, apparently there had been a significant amount of time between Paul's last correspondence with Philippi and the news that he had just received about him now, and we're not exactly sure for that gap. Most likely, you know, Paul traveled around for many years, starting churches, ministering to different people, and communication obviously was a little more challenging in the first century than it is today. Most likely, the church couldn't get a hold of Paul, but Paul was left wondering, aching. How are they doing? I haven't had time to visit them. I hope this little church that I planted in this pagan city is doing well. I hope they're still faithful to Jesus. But a Epaphroditus shows up to Paul's prison with a love offering from the Philippian church, a financial gift that this church in Philippi gives to Paul. God had provided for him. And Paul's rejoicing over this gift. Now, he's not rejoicing over why you think he might be rejoicing over the gift. He's not going, yes, I have another nine months of rent that I can now pay. Praise God. Would kind of be a natural response, right? Paul's rejoicing over this gift Because it's an indication of their joy and generosity in the Lord. He loved this church. This word renewed in verse 10 um, is a rare word in the Greek, and it means to blossom. Now, how many people, I won't say ladies, but I'll say people because some dudes like flowers. But when the peonies are in, how many love when the peonies are present? My wife, whenever they show up at Trader Joe's, it's like every time she goes, we're coming back with those things. And those things blossom like crazy. They smell amazing. They boom, bloom. And this is what Paul's talking about here with the church, that they are blossoming. They're opening up. They are, by this gift, they're showing their love, but also their growth in the gospel, their generosity as a church, their love of Jesus, their love of neighbor is blossoming, and Paul is so joyful over that. And he's quick, if you look at verse 11, he's quick to make note that this joy is not because of his need. Again, he's not going, yes, okay, Philippian church sent me this, I got this much time, boom, where's, where's the Thessalonian church? When's Corinth gonna pay me, right? I gotta make it through. He's going, no, no, he's saying, it's not because of my need. He doesn't need the gift. And why doesn't he need the gift? And this is the state of Paul's heart that I I long for and I think everyone here can relate to and long for as well. Because he's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And the question I want to start with this morning is do you view contentment as something you can learn? Is this a muscle that you can grow and strengthen? Do you Look at, like, man, we're in our place, and we wish we were more content. I need to grow in this. I need to learn how to do this better. Now, can anyone do a Rubik's Cube? This is kind of a silly illustration. The other question, and be honest, can anybody do a Rubik's Cube in under 30 seconds? You can? For real? Can you come up and do it for us? What do you think? Come on, 30 seconds? All right, all right. I won't pressure you. I believe you. I won't pressure you. So, this has always kind of been on a bucket list for me because I see people do Ruby's cubes and I'm like, it makes no sense to me. And I go like this and I try to figure it out. And I'm like, I don't understand how they get the cube to line up like they get it. Until finally I was like, listen, the 21st century is amazing. YouTube has made those of us that aren't handy, that have no real skills, we can fake it a lot. So, I started watching videos of Ruby's Cube, video after video. And I would try, and there's like, there are all these patterns that you do within the cube, right? There's all these patterns. And as you get quicker at the patterns, and you learn the different patterns, and you start to get the bottom row, the middle row, the top row, and you start to line up all these things. But listen, the Ruby's Cube is something you have to learn. It's not something that you can just do. And it's a silly illustration to make the point that contentment, I would argue, is one of those things, that we view it as just a part of our circumstances, a part of our life. But to learn that is similar to the process of sanctification, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. To be sanctified is to grow in our understanding of Jesus. It's to be made more like Jesus. It's not to be saved, but it is a process of being more like Jesus. And so I want to start with just getting us thinking about What would it mean to learn contentment as a community? What would it mean to grow in that? Oftentimes, what happens is we relegate contentment to our circumstances, which produces what? It produces that little lie that we've all listened to time and time again. If I only had blank, I would be happy. I would be satisfied. I would be content. I'm not satisfied here, so there must be something missing that if I add it, then I will find it. This could be a spouse. It could be a specific job. It could be a desire to have a family. It could be a kitchen remodel. Right? It could be anything that you go, if I only had that, I think then finally I would be content until we get there right but Paul's going I can be content in any s- circumstance and he's going to follow us up in 12 expand on it by saying I know what it is to be in need right and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in every in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or want. The secret to be content in every situation. There is something deep within me that aches for that kind of peace, aches for it. No matter the situation, I'm good. Now, I googled how to be content because I kind of wanted to know what the world says about contentment, what culture says about contentment. Um, And it brought up three, this is WikiHow, gave me some good answers, three of them. Now, just for the record, I don't have have three points today. And when I sent these over to Sydney, she thought these were my three points, and she started getting a little nervous. These are not my three points, okay? But this is kind of an idea of how culture teaches us to live with contentment, to be content. Number one, live in the present. The people who are the happiest with their lives are able to enjoy and embrace the present moment instead of being stuck on the past or obsessing over what the future will look like, right? Great advice, great advice. Number two, be grateful for what you have. Instead of focusing on all the things you don't have or all the things you want, take a minute to think about how lucky you are compared to most people out there a little cruel. Number three, appreciate the little things. Be thankful for the air you breathe, the food that nourishes you, the quiet home you live in, the sunshine that brightens up your day. This is the advice. Now, in the spirit of transparency, how many people have tried to live in one of those three things? Raise your hand. I certainly have. I with discontentment, you go, man, look at all that I have. And you try to take a deep breath. My question for us this morning in this, it goes like, does it help? It helps for a little while. You go, okay, I think I'm okay, maybe. But eventually, like, the seeds of discontentment, they work their way back into our heart, don't they? And I'd argue that it, these don't help. Because all three of these suggestions to a content life are based upon your circumstances. Let's go back through them really one more time actually. If you look at number one, live in the present, right? The people who are the happiest with their lives are able to enjoy and embrace the present moment. That is if your circumstances are good at that moment, right? I'm not sure Paul would say, based on my present circumstances, I can totally be content. Number two, be grateful for what you have. That is basically instructing you to look down to others, to those who have less than you. Look at those that have less. You have more than them. But here's here's what will eventually creep in your heart. Man, I'm the one that's less to somebody else, right? You go, that person has less than I do, but I have less than that person. I got to get there. Discontentment, circumstance, And number three, appreciate the little things. Be thankful for the air you breathe, the food that nourishes, the quiet home you live in. That's assuming you have food. That's assuming you have a home. That's assuming you're not in prison, unable to see the sunshine, right? These three ideas fail us because they are dependent upon good circumstances for contentment. But Paul's secret is a contentment beyond circumstances. And how did he learn that contentment? Let's look at his life just for a minute. Remember, if you don't know anything about Paul, he grew up wealthy and privileged. He went to the best schools. He was trained by the best, best rabbi. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So he grew up with plenty. Also, I mean, once he meets Jesus and his life is transformed and he goes on these missionary journeys, there's evidence that Paul lived in plenty for much of, for some of if not much, of his missionary life. When he was in Philippi, he was around a lady named Lydia, a wealthy business owner, had a huge house. So Paul understood what it meant to live in plenty, even as a Christian, but he also knew what it was like to be in need, very serious need. Let me run through really quick a couple of things that happened to Paul as a Christian. He writes this about himself in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. They believed 40 lashes would kill you, so they give people 39 lashes to keep them alive. Five times he received that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. There is a theme there. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. He is, and yet, Paul makes the claim here that he... Can find contentment in plenty and in need. Stephen Lawson, the theologian, he writes this that Paul has a peaceful acceptance of where God has providentially placed him. Maybe we can say Paul has come to a peaceful acceptance. He has learned a peaceful acceptance of where God has providentially placed him. D.A. Carson says this about Paul. He avoids the arrogance that is often associated with wealth. He also avoids the kind of spiritual arrogance that is often associated with poverty. The brute fact is that Paul is content in both circumstances because his contentment is utterly independent of circumstances. Let me say that again. His contentment is utterly independent of circumstances. This is it. This is the beginning of the secret that Paul talks about. Becoming utterly independent of circumstances is the only way to be truly dependent or content. And as you consider your own life, you think about the vision for your life, you think about your heart, your circumstance right now, the desires you have, the desires for your life, for your family. Where does your heart go when you think about contentment and discontentment? What do you need to let go of in your life? This is the question I've been returning to frequently over the last couple of years in prayer. What do I need to let go of? Is it a desire to succeed? Is it a pain in my life that brought about this need to find security and control? Is it family expectations, fear of the future? What is it we need to let go of in our life? We'll get, we'll we'll work on some of that in a minute. And you know, on our own, to live independent of our circumstances, to be perfectly honest, feels impossible, doesn't it? Unless The strength to live that way comes from someone else. Let's move on to 13. Very famous verse. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. I can do all things through him, Jesus, who strengthens me, who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is a well-known verse that's been grossly taken out of context a million times. How many have seen... Olympic athletes, right, NBA, NFL, whoever it is that they win an event and they go, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is not a verse to celebrate victory. This is a verse to press into contentment in all situations. You you can live this way out of strength in plenty and in want because of the strength we have in Jesus. If everything were taken away, this is the question that has been permeated this entire talk for me. If everything was taken away in my life, could I be content? Would I find my strength in Jesus? And then I think about my life now and I go, I'm not totally content now and I have stuff. And deep down I know if you gave me more stuff, I'd still probably be discontent. So the answer is, Right here, the secret is right here. Paul's source of contentment is not through himself, but through him who gives him strength. Christ, this is his secret. He's not alone, and neither are you, and neither am I. But he learned this. This is, again, my encouragement to us. You can learn this. Paul is not superhuman. He is like us, has a tendency to sin, but was filled with the Spirit, sought Jesus, and he learned contentment. And he learned it by giving everything to Jesus. That is the secret. He gave all of his life to Christ. And the classroom which shaped Paul, I believe, were difficult trials. I know he lived in Plantia. I know he lived in Want, but I think we are formed and we are shaped and we learn most during difficult trials. I believe this because trials remove the safety net in our lives and Christ strengthened those who are Week. Let me give you a really powerful example of this, a story I've never forgot. In 2007, 23 missionaries from South Korea were captured by the Taliban in Afghanistan. Maybe some of you know the story. They were in Afghanistan aiding doctors and nurses when the Taliban took them. They were in prison. Two of them were executed. And the rest of them were released um, at the end of August. Now, what's fascinating about their story, and I think sheds tremendous light on the impact of Paul's trials, is the response of the missionaries when they were returned to safety. One of the women who was captured said this, When I was surrounded by these soldiers, I felt the presence of Jesus in there with me. Now that we are back in Seoul, I am trying to experience the intimacy with him, but I can't. I fast and I pray and I don't feel it. I would rather be back there because of the intimacy I had with him. Isn't that amazing? I would rather be back imprisoned by the Taliban because of her intimacy with Christ than back in freedom in soul, which brings us to the question, like, where does our true freedom lie? Where does our true freedom lie? And it lies in a commitment and a devotion and a pursuit and a belief and a submission to Jesus Christ. That will bring about a contentment that can survive and flourish in all situations. And this is the same Jesus that gave Paul this commitment that ultimately led to his imprisonment and then his death. Let me kind of close this by by looking from a different angle. Does anybody know what the 10th commandment is? The 10th commandment is do not covet, right? The 10th commandment is do not covet. It actually says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor, now, this is a command, so it's available to all people. And do not covet it's in the negative. How would we put that in the positive? You shall be content, right? This is the 10th commandment. You shall be content with your wife. You shall be content with your house and your land, with your servants. I'm not sure you should be content with that. Your ox and donkey or anything else that belongs to you. You shall be content The 10th commandment. To want something you don't have is a definition of discontentment. And what are you doing? You are desiring something different from what God has providentially placed in front of you. To put something before your relationship with God is to covet, is to lead to discontentment. Do you know what the first commandment is? They bookend each other. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. So to get a little practical here to help us out, if you're dealing with discontentment in a deep way, what are the things that you have put before your relationship with God? What are the things you put before Jesus? You go, my relationship with Jesus is important, but I need this and I want this. And you know deep down that you've kind of slid it before him. You've put it in front of him. If you can begin to identify those things, I think you can begin to understand and get to the core of your discontentment. Tim Keller writes this. He says, you have to unmask the enemies and lies in your heart and mind, and then you will be able to do all things through him who gives you strength. This is going to take some work. Why? Because we're learning. You have to unmask it. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to spend time writing down these things. What are the things i put... Before him. So what can we do? Let me give you three quick applications as we close. Number one, we just talked about this. You have to understand the little, the little G gods we are putting before the true God. What are you placing before God as your source of joy, fulfillment, and contentment? What are you placing before God? Number two, you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. What do I mean by that? We're not saved based on our works. We're not saved based on morality. We're not saved based on, look at how content I am. We're saved by the grace of Jesus, the saving work of Christ that he did on the cross, that he took your sin and my sin. And to wake up each day and preach the gospel to yourself, that you've been given a gift greater than anything you could ever have. And you go, God, through Jesus, help me be content today. Not because of my own strength, but because of what he's done for me. Preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Putting those little G guys that you have put before him, laying those at the feet of Jesus. And the third thing, and this will help you do that, is you have to establish spiritual rhythms within your day and week. And I'm not here to tell you what those are. But if your week is filled with Waking up and immediately working or being with kids and going all day and then crashing, and there's no spiritual rhythms and intentionality to connect with God, to understand the idols in your own heart that you've put before Him, you're going to have, you're going to always struggle with discontentment. So, what does your life look like in terms of regular Bible reading? What does it look like in terms of prayer? Even just the Lord's, not just, but even the Lord's prayer, just committing every day to offering that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? What does deep friendship look like? Do you have someone that knows you, that knows these struggles, that you can go and confess them to you, that you can support and encourage one another? What does friendship look like? What is silence and solitude? I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. We know how social media affects our discontentment, right? Because everybody looks happy and successful and in a great place place, but do you have some parameters and some disciplines to shut those off for even just an hour a day? Do you, have you put these markers in place in your life? Again, this doesn't save us, but this opens us up to experiencing the love of Jesus, to understanding more of his strength in your life. And friends, I'm not up here Telling you, you guys need to do this. I'm, I struggle with discontentment. I struggle with it right now. Many of you know we moved from Encinitas to Escondido eight months ago, and it's been a really hard transition for us. There's been so much good, and there's so much blessing, and I don't want to seem ungrateful in any way. But we still went, we left the place we love for Escondido, right? Hey. I love hey. And I love Escondido. But I'm just—I want to—I want you to know that you're not alone. That this is a daily struggle for myself, for my family, of us going, God, how can we be content where we are? Not flourish where we are. I love this quote, C.S. Lewis: "If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another." these desires that we have. There will come a a time, friends, when your discontent will be no more. We will be fully content because we will be with the most content person to ever live. Paul is but a whisper, a vapor of the contentment we see in Jesus. Truly confident and comfortable in every situation. Didn't, was homeless most of his ministry. could be with anyone from Pharisee to tax collector to some of the lowly women of the day, right, and be completely comfortable in who he was. And because of Jesus, we don't have to seek contentment alone. We seek after him, and he has the strength to do all things, and I'll leave you this with this question before I pray. Is Jesus enough? As you look at your life, your desires, all you have, is Jesus enough? Only you can answer that question. Would you pray with me? Father, I just pray for my friends here who are... Living a life of, of discontentment, who don't know, you know how to find their way out of it. The idea of being content in all circumstances and situations. What a breath of fresh air. And we know it's not out of our own efforts and doings. But we thank you for the Spirit who lives in us, who guides us and leaves us, leads us, and can give us the strength that only is found in Jesus, that through him we can do all things, whether in plenty or want, doesn't matter. There's a contentment in Jesus because of who he is, because of the hope we have in the future. And so I pray, Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for my friends here, that we would really begin to consider how we can learn to be content, that we would seek you, that we would constantly give to you those little idols, those little gods that vie for our attention, that say, man, if you had this, you'd be happy. If you were, if you could just attain this position or this relationship or this thing, then you'd find the fulfillment that we desire, but the fulfillment is only found in you. So we pray against that lie, and we pray that, Jesus, you'd fill us up, give us your peace, your wisdom, your strength. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the hope of life through the forgiveness of sins that you bore on the cross. We give you all the glory and praise and pray this in your name. Amen.